this is the in focus podcast from the hindu hello and welcome to the in focus podcast i'm deep sampath your host for today's episode this is wimbledon week and we thought it would be great to do a tennis episode so we decided to explore a question at the heart of professional tennis today what does the sport owe to its lower ranked players this question has become a talking point for two reasons first is the formation of the professional tennis players association or the ptpa it has been founded by the world number 1 novak djokovic and canadian player vasek pospisil the ptpa hopes to obtain some collective bargaining power for the players The second is a report by the New York Times that documents how when it comes to share of the revenues generated by the sport tennis players fare much worse than their counterparts in other sports it also shows how lower ranked tennis players really struggle to cover their expenses so when can we expect tennis administrators to do a better job of taking care of the players should tennis players unionize and what would it take to make pro tennis a viable option for those ranked between the top 150 and top 400 bracket to discuss these questions we have with us a tennis legend and a man who literally needs no introduction vijay amritraj vijay is not just one of the all time tennis greats he is also a popular commentator brand ambassador a un messenger of peace and a, and a philanthropist mr amritraj welcome to the hindu in focus podcast Thank you Sampath good to be on your program Mr Amritaj to start with as someone who is intimately familiar with all levels of professional tennis as co- as coach player commentator do you think there is a level playing field or an equitable relationship between the big 7 that is the ATP WTA ITF and the four grand slams on the one hand and the players on the other first of all uh, there's a lot that has gone into creating all of these tours since the time the great uh, rod laver won wimbledon in 1968 the first open tennis tournament and uh, uh, i can't even remember what little prize money he won when he won the first open event in 68 and then went on to win the grand slam in 69 So I think if you look back in time over the last 50 60 years you know we've come a long way with the sport and the professionalizing of the game and the commercializing of the game as well in a variety of ways Let's not forget that we are the second largest worldwide sport as, as far as the worldwide sport is concerned perhaps after soccer and uh, uh, we play in different corners of the world we play literally in every continent we play all through the year there is no seasons for our sport indoors outdoors surfaces economies change in different parts of the world but uh, we still continue with something like 80 85 tournaments in 60 70 countries and we are just talking only about the uh, tour events then you have certainly smaller events uh, challenges futures and so on and so forth needless to say also local events so Tennis is a very very difficult sport to be compared to others and arguably the only individual sport in the world where which it is played around the world you know including golf which at least where you have a caddy traveling with you or playing alongside you or being a part 
of your uh, decision-making process on clubs and so on and so forth. So there are lots of comparisons to deal with here, and we can probably isolate them one at a time. But tennis is a unique sport in that regard. Okay, yeah, that's a point well taken, uh, that it is uh, not easily comparable to other sports in terms of its uh, spread and other dimensions to it. Uh, however, it appears that in tennis, uh, compared to other sports, the players get a much smaller share of the wealth generated by the tour. For instance, uh, according to this recent report in the NYT, other sports such as NBA basketball, Major League Baseball and National Hockey League, to take a few examples, the players' share of revenue is about 50%, whereas in tennis, it's barely 14 to 17%. Uh, to what would you attribute this? The National Hockey League and Major, Major League Baseball, uh, they don't play in Cairo or they don't play in Ho Chi Minh. They don't play in Dubai. They don't play in Basel. They don't play in different corners of the world like we like the tennis like tennis does in different corners of the world at different levels of uh, tournaments, uh, prize money that is uh, paid across the board to players playing in a tournament in uh, uh, oh let's say in Toulouse in France. Uh, it may have uh, the number one player playing in that tournament might be ranked uh, twenty eight. And the lowest ranked player playing in that tournament might be ranked uh, 182. And uh, whereas in the National Ho Hockey League, you better be part of the team. It doesn't matter how good you are playing uh, hockey uh, in uh, the public arena and trying to break it into the league unless you get picked. Team sports are completely different in that regard. Here in tennis, it's based entirely on merit. So if you're good enough, doesn't matter where you're from, doesn't matter which ethnicity you come from, religion, caste, creed, language, it doesn't matter. It's just how good you are. And today we see guys from different parts of the world who are playing the semi-final at Wimbledon or uh, winning Queen's Club or any of the major tournaments that you see across the board, which has been spectacular over the years. It's been Americans and Australians. Today you've seen the Europeans from different parts, small countries in Europe, Serbia, Croatia, the Czech Republic, across the board, doing so incredibly well. And all the way down, the 100th guy in Spain has a good chance to beat Nadal if he has a slightly bad day. So it's based entirely on merit. It's not based on a, a, a committee picking you or a, or a coach picking you or anyone else picking you for the team and so on and so forth. And it's universal. Major differences between these sports that you've just discussed in the U.S., and what NYT has referred to. Right. Uh, Mr. Amdre, that's, of course, a very strong point uh, about merit that you've made. But uh, it is uh, related to this very same uh, question. Uh, there is another dimension to, dimension to it apart from revenue share, which is that players outside the top 150 among men and outside the top 120 among women, when it even they can't uh, break even. They can't cover their costs of travel, coaching, overheads with just their prize money earnings, even if they play 30 weeks per year and have reasonable success. Now, we can't deny that somebody ranked 180 among men is, is clearly a meritorious player. You have to be really good to be in the top 180 in the world, but they can't cover their costs and they have to be uh, running at a loss to be able to play the circuit. Isn't this a bit of a hangover from the amateur era when tennis players were expected to play for nothing more than the love of the game? Actually, exactly the opposite. 
this uh, the, the 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 sport of tennis uh, as it is in most pretty much most sports uh, when you're trying to excel you're trying to be the best you start the game to be the best and to earn a good living from it after being the best at the best that you could possibly be so you compete from a junior level to a senior level and you try to make the transition as you move forward everyone across the board in different parts of the world have to go from being a junior to a senior player and make the transition perhaps in the last two years of your junior career and i think what people look for is the early breaks if you're good enough to be able to get those early breaks yes when i was playing it was harder because certainly sponsorships are less today it's more today commercialization of sport has made it more you have more tournaments you have more prize money even at the lower level we, when we left india for the first time we left with 3 and 1/2 pounds in our pocket and that was it you had to go across and try to uh, win in the afternoon to be able to have a decent meal at night but things have moved on from that to a great value proposition where even the 250s as we say in the atp tour or even the challenger tournaments actually give an opportunity for 64 guys 32 guys doubles teams to all play and get better and better and better so that they can actually break into the top tier of tournaments again we are a worldwide tour we're not based only in the us for example the guys who get picked to play in the nba are only in the us nba is in the us and there are tons of basketball players who are so good who don't get picked at all they don't get two cents not to be on any team because they're not on any team same with the other leagues as well whereas in tennis you can if you're coming up from thailand or from any part of asia for that matter you have the opportunity to play local tournaments you have the opportunity to actually play uh, challenger tournaments qualifications where you can get in based again entirely on merit this isn't a social program to have more people uh, more people playing the game is the duty of federations to promote the game at a grassroots level but once you get to be a professional athlete so called professional athlete who want to get better at it it's entirely up to what you can deliver by way of your own ability to compete at a lower level and then move yourself up to a medium medium and upper levels right uh, fair enough i mean it's, it's it's up to the professional players to sort of uh, to get as good as they need to be to be able to make a living having said that uh, to take the debate forward Uh, there are two points which have been uh, pointed out by many uh, critics one is of course if we if we want to compare individual sports with another individual sport rather than a team sport like nba uh, basketball and so on they take the example of golf and say that golf can support say the top 700 players uh, with the various tour events and uh, tennis of course doesn't compare because uh, as they say more than uh, 200 it's not possible to support and secondly if you take the administrative side of uh, pro tennis if you take the full time staff the administrators the umpires the referees of the big seven uh, organizations they add up to more than 2000 officials uh, collectively and who are able to make a living from the sport and they wouldn't clearly be expected to do so if they were making a loss so is it not therefore the responsibility of the major stakeholders such as the grand slams and the atp Uh, to work out a system of spreading the sports uh, revenue in a more equitable manner so that at least the top 400 players are able to make a decent uh, living given that it is after all the players who pull in the fans and drive the revenue 
Sampath, uh, a lot of uh, answers to that question. First and foremost, the officials, 2,000 officials, uh, I, I don't know the exact numbers, of course, but the officials are professional officials who now travel with the sport worldwide and do X number of weeks per year, and they get a salary like everyone else. They don't get uh, any upside to what they're doing. They, they serve the sport for 28 or 32 or 35 weeks in the year. They get a salary. They're very good at what they do, and they do a great job. They don't get anything extra for doing four matches or three matches or six matches. Uh, they are scheduled in the perfect manner across the board every week on an annual basis. So there is no comparison between the officials and the athletes. The athletes, if the guy gets into a tournament, he gets money to lose in the first round. If he wins, he gets more money. There's always been a debate from the very time that I was president of the ATP in the in late eight, in 89, 1991 timeframe, where we created the ATP tour as to whether there should be a great discrepancy between the guy who wins the tournament and the guy who comes in second as a runner-up because he loses on a let court or he loses 7-6 in the fifth or 7-6 in the third. There's only a couple of points differentiating the two. And should the first prize be 1 million and the second prize be 500,000? And the simple answer is that you're actually rewarding the best. You're rewarding excellence. You're rewarding guys who are actually pulling out all the stops to be able to win those tournaments. And that's the Western way of thinking, which is you. There's, there's, uh, they're, they're not giving room for the runner-up. They're giving a, a, an excellence program here that is being uh, given the merit. And so when you see the championships at Wimbledon and they have two-point-something to win it, the second prize is half that money, but it could be a long five-setter like Federer and Nadal have played so many times or Djokovic. So I think when you look at the prize money, it is based entirely on the award for excellence and it doubles as you win matches, as you go up the ladder till you win the tournament. Now, is the cutoff should be 150, 200, 250, 400? It's anybody's guess. But at the end of the day, it's the guys who actually win the majors. It's the guys who are actually in the top 10 in the world rankings, the guys who actually make, make a name for themselves, who are the ones at the end of the day creating the television revenue. They are the ones creating the sponsorship programs. They are the ones who are creating the sponsors for the various tournaments that actually makes a, makes a tournament a success. And the other important issue is that across the world, economies change. Sometimes Europe is up, sometimes Asia is up. Sometimes the Americas are up or South America is up and vice versa, and it could be down. So sometimes the prize money goes down in certain places, goes up in certain places. A tournament survives not just because of guys ranked 100 to 400 who are playing in it, but it's the top one or two or three, four guys that actually sell the tournament to television and the tournament director is actually able to have it if he pays an appearance fee to someone to show up for his tournament for half a million dollars because he's the one who actually sells the tournament. It's no different from a major motion picture where someone gets into the picture, goes and sees the picture because Schwarzenegger is in it or Stallone is in it, and they get paid uh, twice the amount of money as everyone else in the picture. So I think it, it also goes with that star value, and that comes from highest rankings of the players in tennis, in tennis which is based entirely on merit. Right. Star value, of course, is not something that uh, one can uh, argue with. We'll probably come uh, come back to that point uh, later if we have time. 
Now, uh, one other uh, issue which has come up is to do with the ATP, which, uh, as you just mentioned, you've run yourself in the past. The ATP originally was founded as a players uh, advocacy group, but uh, it is now seems to be perceived in some quarters, like in the New York Times report and, and with the rise of the PTPA, as more uh, committed to the interests of the tournaments. Uh, why why do you think uh, there is this perception that uh, the players at representatives in the ATP's top decision making body the council for for instance uh, are not able to get as good a bargain as they possibly could i wouldn't go that far to say that they're not getting a good bargain there are three members of the ATP tour board uh, who are player representatives and three from the tournament side and then there's one ceo that's the way the, the ATP tour board was set up and the six of them decide on uh, how professional tennis works at the, at the ATP tour level. So that's generally the um, uh, way the governance of the sport, at, at least ATP tour outside of the Grand Slams. That's the first thing. Secondly, I think it's very important to realize and understand the fact that tournaments are falling by the wayside because they're not able to survive on their own at the costs of the event. If an event for example, take our tournament in uh, in India. We have a tour event in India, which is the 250. Uh, I was instrumental in bringing the Chennai Open to Chennai many years ago, and we did it for about uh, 16, 17 years before, or 20 years, before eventually it moved to Pune. And it struggles. If we didn't have government support in that particular event, the tournament will be dead. It will be gone. Because the tournament has players ranked, let's say, the highest ranking player is potentially uh, about 18, 20. And uh, perhaps the audience in India doesn't quite know who he is. And at the same time, the tournament uh, has 32 players in it. The first four or five days in the tournament, it's very difficult to pull a crowd. And finally, in the last two days, it's basically uh, the sponsor's guests who eventually come to fill the stadium. And it's very important for us to have that tournament in India. So it gives Indians a chance also to participate against some of the higher ranked players. Otherwise, we won't have that opportunity. So, but at the same time, the, the economics of the tournament has to work. And we wouldn't survive unless we have government support. Thankfully, we do. Whether it's the Tamil Nadu government is supported for years, the Maharashtra government is supported for the Pune tournament, and we hope it will continue. And I think around the world, it becomes harder and harder for sponsors to put up money for these tournaments when they don't have proper television coverage for the 250s and potentially even the 500s if the top players are not playing in it because those are the ones who are known and who sell television. So it ends up becoming a catch-22 when you have guys ranked uh, 18, 20, 22, 24 playing against guys also ranked within the top 200. And it doesn't. the tennis quality of tennis, nobody's arguing with. A guy ranked 500 in the world is a fantastic tennis player. But unfortunately, the sport doesn't get sold on him. Right. I mean, I can relate to the point you're making about uh, the economics of it because I have attended the Chennai Open on quite a few occasions and I've seen that the stands are relatively empty in the earlier rounds. And that's, of course, uh, something uh, we need to address. Now, moving on, uh, back to the New York Times report. The report says, and I quote, administrative chaos in pro tennis... Uh, which is, again, riddled with conflicts of interest is a, is a major problem. And one instance of it is about management companies that represent players also running tournaments. 
is this uh, some pro is this a problem that uh, pro tennis needs to address and does tennis administration uh, needs to do needs to get a reboot perhaps in this dimension yes i think this is a good point to address because we've got to go with the flow we've got to change as we go along and uh, fortunately or unfortunately we do have different divisions or i wouldn't say perhaps not the word divisions but certainly uh, different sections of the sport being governed by different groups for example the grand slams are on their own and uh, the itf international tennis federation runs the davis cup uh, each grand slam has to really watch out for their own specific interests in those particular events and they collectively uh, make a very very uh, tough and uh, uh, conducive foursome that uh, helps the sport at the highest level that's one the atp tour and the wta tour are two tours that really are the bread and butter of the of the men and women players they are a very crucial uh, uh an important uh, section which actually makes or breaks the game as we know it and then of course you have other tournaments the challengers and smaller tournaments that are run across the world that the itf helps with and the tour and, the, and both the atp and wta tour helps with now there needs to be a solid joint effort at the end of the day between all of these various groups including the davis cup that pulls together the uh, uh various parts of the game everyone wants to play in all of these various aspects of the game and they want to have one governance which we which we do have by way of rules which means that you know it is a best of five set or best of three sets tiebreakers at the right time so the in that regard the sport hasn't changed much at all but on the other hand there are certain things that can pull because of whether it's television rights uh, data rights whether it's sponsorships and so on and so forth uh, but the rules of the game fortunately have stayed uh, unified across the board so yes can there be one unit that uh, overall governs it perhaps but again the interests of sydney might be different from the interests of stockholm the interests of tokyo might be different from the interests of tashkent so we've got to address all of these things unlike the nba that governs the nba in the us new york at the end of the day play cleveland in the final of the nba there's not much of uh, the world that's involved it is basically governed by the nba and they and they run a brilliant ship which is why it is such a wonderful success within within north america yes they've taken some of the games to london or to uh, beijing and so on and so forth but at the end of the day we are such a global sport with different aspects of the sport itself it's not a team sport it's an individual sport and we haven't even we haven't even touched the continent of africa by way of sports and africa is growing in leaps and bounds we need to have tournaments in different parts of the world we need to have more tournaments in asia and south america it's not just north america and europe that continues to have more and more tournaments because the economics are able to afford it i think it's important to be able to spread the game to different parts of the world which is what i tried to do as president of the atp when we ended up putting more tournaments in asia and certainly opened up the middle east as well with dubai and doha right now uh, of course clearly as you've said uh, there could be a uh, further improvement in the way uh, the whole sport is managed at the global level with greater unity among the various stakeholders which brings us to the question uh, uh, brought up by uh, the rise of uh, the ptpa the professional tennis players association founded by djokovic and pospisil uh, do you think it's a step in the right direction and do you think it can uh, help uh, bring about a better deal for the players as a whole than what they have today 
Good question. I think it, it's very important that whatever is done, it is done collectively. Whether it's done collectively with all players. And who are those players? Is it only the ones ranked in the top 150, 200, 400, 500, 800? Who are, who are the, who is a professional tennis player? The ATP, as far as the original pension plan that we created, is based on the fact that they were able to play the minimum number of tournaments that is required by the ATP at the highest level for a minimum period of five years. In my day, he was considered the official professional tennis player. If he played four and a half, he didn't qualify for the pension plan. So you have to look at the various aspects of who the athlete is, who the professional player is. Is a guy ranked 500 considered a professional player? Is the teaching professional who teaches in the local clubs to make money and then goes off and plays tournaments uh, uh, that he can get into and then become a professional tennis player? Is he considered a full-time professional tennis player on the tour? There are lots of lots of issues that have to be dealt with, but whatever it is, it needs to be done collectively. Right. Uh, coming uh, to India, we have had so many talented players over the years. Uh, in their teenage years, they seem to be on par with the best in their age cohorts, say in the NCAA in the US. But later on, we find again and again that they struggle to make the transition to the top 100. So as someone who has gone through the grind uh, yourself and has tasted success in this that too at a time when sponsorship options were far more limited. What was your biggest challenge? Oh, there were a lot more challenges when, uh, when we played, obviously, because it was very, very, uh, uh, very unique in that regard, because we were the first athletes of any of professional athletes coming out of the country. There was nothing known as professional sport. Even the cricketers worked for different uh, companies, whether it was banks, insurance companies, and so on and so forth. Um, and so it was a completely different scenario. And to come out of those situations, obviously, was much, much more difficult because there was no opportunities. And we didn't know what the light at the end of the tunnel was. What was it to travel overseas and try to play and win under different circumstances? Today, everyone knows. Today, we know what the world is. There's internet out there. You know exactly what to expect. You know what to prepare for and so on and so forth. So as juniors, as we become good and try to make it into the senior category, the only difference, in my opinion, is a commitment and work. Commitment to such an extent that you're able to give up all else and give it, give it your best shot. At some point in time, there comes a cutoff as to whether you think you feel strong enough to continue that, whether you feel strong enough to be able to exploit and uh, deploy what you have and see how best you can compete with the rest of the world. Because lots of players coming from different parts of the world didn't start out wealthy and have sponsorships and whether they came from uh, uh, Zagreb or whether they came from Toulouse or whether they came from anywhere else. Guys still playing at a local public court or public park or, a, or even a club for that matter didn't really have majority of, uh, of enough money to be able to travel the world and do what he needs to do with a coach and a, and a trainer and so on and so forth. That was never the case. And even today, the guys who are ranked 500 don't have that. Well, you still have to make the breakthrough. How are you going to make the breakthrough? All these guys we see on TV today didn't start out this way. You know, if they're talented enough at a young age, and let's say you're, you're lucky enough to be picked by an academy in Florida or an academy in Barcelona, where you're given a scholarship, how many of them are there? What, half a dozen maybe? Sometimes get picked for these academies. 
where everything is paid for for them. And then they, the, the coaches might have made the wrong pick. Maybe the guy in a year's time has not improved as much as he's supposed to improve. So the, 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 it comes down to you as an individual to start with, and of course your family around you, to be able to get you to a point where you're able to make some kind of a breakthrough before you're recognized as a talented player and either a federation is able to help you more, as sponsors are able to come forward, help you more because the CEO likes the game. It's the same thing in golf. They're doing exactly the same thing and it's an even more exp expensive sport to play. So I think it's, 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 it's a hard game. And from us uh, in India, it's also a social issue. You know, if, if you don't make it, it's what do you call making it, whether it's making X amount of money or whether it's actually making it to the tour, we don't, we're not willing to take even bigger chances and bigger risks because honestly, at the end of the day, you need to be, you need to be educated. You need to get a job. You need to be able to, uh, uh, you know, uh, get a, get a job in a, in a, in a decent place. And you want to be able to have a family and so on and so forth. Our social structure is based a lot on safety. There are a lot more people today who won't, will not ask the question I was asked when I was growing up, which was, oh, yes, you play tennis. What do you do for a living? You know, today, nobody's going to ask a top cricketer in India that because you know what he does and what he's making, which is what is so exciting for me to see so many more athletes in different sports across India who have done so well, which wasn't the case when I was playing the game. So I feel very, very bullish about our future because the thought process has changed to give our youngsters, boys and girls both, the dreams that they can actually continue to exploit and, uh, and uh, try to uh, make come true, which ha has been proven by so many more athletes in different sports. Right. Uh, Mr. Amtaj, we're running out of time. So one last uh, question to you uh, in this podcast. What would be your advice to talented young tennis players from India who have limited financial resources but also have the ambition of making a professional career as a player? Sure. Take one step at a time. You know, work as much as you possibly can. And uh, it's a, nothing, nothing compares to hard work. Play small tournaments, win them. You know, get out there. Uh, you, you're not, you can't start off uh, uh, dreaming that you're going to play right this minute in a major tournament because that's not going to happen. You're going to have win tournaments, win uh, challenger events, make a break into the, uh, into the qualifying of, uh, for tour event. In India, can you get to playing the qualifying of our own uh, tour event in Pune at the moment? Can you get to that stage by just becoming good enough? By being able to, we have enough, lo lots of uh, tournaments in India today, <coughs> excuse me, uh, where we have points that are given. Play them, win them, get better at what you're doing. Do the training period. Uh, it, it's all, you're going to have to do all of this by yourself with someone to help you within the family. And then you can get there. Mr. Amitraj, thank you so much uh, for sharing your insights and thoughts on this episode. Uh, it was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you, Sampad. Thank you for having me on. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.